Scripture passages tonight in the Old Testament, Psalm 51, and in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. Pew Bible, page 889 for Psalm 51. We'll start the reading there. Before we read, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, enlighten us by your Holy Spirit that we may see in your word how great a salvation we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Psalm 51. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. Pew Bible, page 1,527. Starting the reading in verse 15 for context. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, answered, I tell you, Not seven times, but 77 times. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had, be, had would be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. As for the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also looking at Lord's Day 51 in the back of your Heidelberg Catechism in the back of the Green Psalter Hymnals, page 62. Lord's Day 51. We can read the answer together with one voice. What does the fifth request mean? And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors means. Because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us, poor sinners that we are, any of the sins we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. And that's the teaching of the Catechism. Lewis Smeads, in his book, The Art of Forgiving, When You Need to Forgive and You Don't Know How, tells of a story. He says, in November of 1990, as the long struggle for freedom in South Africa was reaching its climax, a group of black and white spiritual leaders from almost all the churches in that land met at a hotel outside of a little town called Rustenburg. Some of the leaders represented people who had wounded and wronged blacks. Others represented the people who had been so horribly wounded and wronged. These men and women came together to answer two questions. Could the blacks ever forgive? And could blacks and whites ever be truly united as brothers and sisters? Desmond Tutu, spiritual leader for many in South Africa, answered for the wounded and the wronged of his beloved country. He gave his answer in a straightforward speech that bears the title, We Forgive You. Forgive, yes, said Tutu. The victims of injustice and oppression must be ever ready to forgive. But could there ever be a coming together? Ah, that is another question. Smeeds writes, Those who have wronged us must be ready to make what amends they can. If I have stolen your pen, 
I can't really be contrite when I say, please forgive me, if at the same time I still keep your pen. If I am truly repentant, then I will demonstrate this genuine repentance by returning your pen. And then reunion, which is always costly, will happen. It can't happen just by saying, let bygones be bygones. We can forgive him if he keeps the pen, Smeed's writes. We should not be his friend unless he gives it back. And that right there is a presentation that I think brings uh, some of the difficulty of what forgiveness means to the forefront. Is there a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation? Can we forgive someone and not be their friend, not be reconciled to them? And so what I hope to do tonight as we look at Scripture and we look at what Lord's Day 51 says about that fifth request in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, is to consider what it is that forgiveness means. Misunderstandings abound when it comes to forgiveness and how it's meant to be lived out in our lives as Christian people. And so hopefully we can address those things. Our theme tonight in Christ, since all our prayers are given in Christ, and as a reminder that we are considering prayer with these Lord's Day. We pray for forgiveness. I'm going to leave it. We're going to pray for forgiveness so we can be reconciled to God and our neighbor. Our theme tonight, in Christ we pray for forgiveness so we can be reconciled to God and our neighbor. So, two points tonight. First is forgiveness received. Um, The second point is forgiveness given. Forgiveness received... Forgiveness given. So let's look at that first point tonight. Forgiveness received. In Christ, we pray for forgiveness so we can be reconciled to God and our neighbor. The first point is forgiveness received. If you look at the first part of the fifth petition, the fifth request in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Our Father who art in heaven... Forgive us. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Um, That is what we're talking about. All forgiveness begins with God. All forgiveness begins with God. In the Christian life, 
All forgiveness begins with God. That's why I've titled the sermon tonight, Vertical and Horizontal. If we were to say that there are two types of forgiveness, we would say it like this. We could say it like this. There is vertical forgiveness, and that is forgiveness that is related to God. Right? So when we say our theme statement, in Christ we pray for forgiveness so we can be reconciled to God, that's vertical. That's the vertical reality. Uh, in our neighbor, that's the horizontal reality. We'll get to that when we talk about forgiveness given. But right now, we're talking about forgiveness received. The importance of reading Psalm 51 when we talk about forgiveness received is that all forgiveness begins with the understanding, with the deep reality that we have come to grasp that is found in Psalm 51, verse 4. Psalm 51, verse 4 says, what does it say? Against you, God, only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Against you only have I sinned. Now, we understand that this psalm is about David's adultery with Bathsheba. So not only did David sin against God, David sinned against Bathsheba, David sinned against Uriah, David sinned against his general because he told his general to do something that was wicked and he implemented him in the murder of Uriah. David sinned against a lot of people in this whole situation, this scandal that happened that he is now confessing in Psalm 51. But David understands something that we must all understand when it comes to the category of forgiveness, that ultimately, ultimately, above all other realities, our sin is against God. And so before we can even ask for forgiveness from others or offer it to others, we must first recognize and acknowledge we need it from God. And ask for it from God. And so the catechism says the first part of the fifth request is forgive us our debts. Heavenly Father, forgive us our debts. Psalm 51 verse 4 says, Because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us, poor sinners that we are, any of the sins we do. Or the evil that constantly clings to us. So, don't hold against us. Our sins. And the reason that we can ask God to forgive us our debts, that we can ask God to forgive us our sins... With the understanding that in the blood of Christ, this is a once forever deal, our sins are forgiven so that we can renew our sense of that forgiveness. 
is because we understand that even as we are united to Christ, we are living in this world and we are still struggling and fighting sin, the evil that constantly clings to us, the flesh, right? And so we can renew our sense of that forgiveness. We can renew our sense of that reality that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And in fact, this is the reason why in our services on Sunday morning, we have a part of the service called an assurance of pardon. It's not because every Sunday you have to be pardoned over and over again. It's because weak as we are, Christian people, it's because how often we struggle, how often we doubt the goodness of God, we need to be assured of that pardon. Reminded of that pardon. And so, so often in the Christian life and Christian circles, when we talk about forgiveness, we stop here, right, at this sin reality. Well, God forgave us of our sins. But I want us to go a step further because there is a reason behind forgiveness that is deeper than the sins. Stick with me here. Why did God forgive us our sins? Why? Why did God forgive us our sins? Anybody? His love? So that he could share his love with us so that we could have relationship. You see, ultimately, all forgiveness is about reconciliation. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life so that he could share that life with us. The sins were the thing in the way of him being in communion with us, fellowship with us. God did not arbitrarily forgive us of our sins because the sins needed to be forgiven. He, in Jesus Christ and in his blood, forgave us of those sins so that he could be with us, have relationship with us, share his love with us. So that we could be reconciled to God. The sins were the obstacle to what he truly wanted, what we were destined for, to enjoy God forever. So forgiveness received is not only about the understanding that we are sinners in need of forgiveness, But it's also with the understanding that when we pray to God, forgive us our debts, what we're asking for 
really, ultimately, is that through our union with Christ, we would be able to re-enter fellowship with God, that we would enter into a fuller understanding and experience of that communion and union with God, that we would have a, a closer relationship with him, that we are saying, ultimately, God, we don't want anything between us. We don't want anything between you, God, and, uh, and me. I don't want anything to get in the way. I want us to have an open fellowship, communion, union. I want to be reconciled to you. And so then, that leads us to that second point. This is forgiveness received. This is the basis of all other forgiveness that we give and that we accept in the Christian life. Forgiveness given. So when I say in Christ we pray for forgiveness so we can be reconciled to God, that's the vertical reality of forgiveness. That's between God and us. And we understand that God and Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sins. But now we're talking about the horizontal reality of forgiveness. And I would argue that there are two aspects to the horizontal reality of forgiveness. There's one that starts in the vertical plane. And when I say there's one that starts in the vertical plane, what I'm saying by that is that as we receive the forgiveness of God, as our lives begin to get transformed by the gospel, we are confronted oftentimes with the reality of living in a sinful and fallen world with sinful and fallen people. Now, what do I mean by that? We get hurt. We get wronged. We get sinned against. And when that happens, we're at a crossroads. Because we're not the person we were anymore. We see ourselves now as God sees us sinners who need his grace We've received his forgiveness, but this person did this horrible thing to me. This person wronged me greatly. So what are we going to do with that? Because oftentimes, the way we've been told about forgiveness is like what Lewis Smees wrote in that book, Let Bygones Be Bygones. That forgiveness means that I, I just write it off, that the wrong thing you did, it, you, you, don't, you don't get any trouble for it. That I give you a thumbs up, that I, that I say that whatever it was that you did is okay. I approve of it because I'm just saying, well, I forgive you. Forgive you, I, I forgive you means um, let's be done with this and I never want to talk about it again. And so why I say horizontal uh, aspect of forgiveness, being reconciled to our neighbor, begins with God. It's because 
A lot of times before we can go to someone else who's wronged us or hurt us and say, I forgive you, we have to go to God and say, God, please help me to forgive those who have wronged me. And you notice in the fifth request of the Lord's Prayer, it's a given that we'll do this. It's not a request that says, help us to forgive our debtors. Read it. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If you read Christ's ministry, he assumes that forgiven people forgive people. He assumes it. But for any of us who have been deeply wronged by someone, we know it's not that simple. That there is a deeper heart transformation that needs to happen in the Christian life. When we are confronted with the wrongs of this world and the people that hurt us with utter sinners, The first step of reconciliation with our neighbors often has to start with God, asking God to help us let go of this bitterness. Help us let go of this hatred and this hurt so that we we can get to a place where we're ready offer forgiveness where we're ready to offer forgiveness and maybe that forgiveness never ultimately ends in reconciliation because the person who's wronged you is no longer around the person who's hurt you deeply is no longer living or because for whatever reason you're barred from making that reconciliation happen. Nonetheless, you can still pray to God. And you can say, God, I forgive that person. I give that up to you. And in that moment, that forgiveness is about your heart. Letting go of something that is holding you down. St. Augustine often said... That bitterness, unforgiveness, is like drinking poison and hoping it'll hurt the person that hurt you. Matthew chapter 18 talks about forgiveness given. And it's important that we see it in the context of church discipline. Matthew chapter 18 starts in verse 15. Jesus begins that. With this statement, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. The point that Jesus is making is when sins happen, go, speak to each other, be reconciled, restore the relationship. Don't let bygones be bygones. Talk about it. Acknowledge the wrong. You misunderstand forgiveness when you think forgiveness means 
forgetting about the wrong thing that was done. Forgiveness means recognizing the wrong thing that was done and saying, I am determined to not hold that against you. You don't understand forgiveness. God didn't simply wipe his hand and say, yeah, I forgive you. No big deal. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is the emblem that forgiveness costs something, that forgiveness is about recognizing and acknowledging the wrong. It's not about ignoring it. And so, Jesus goes through this whole process of church discipline, which is focused upon the reconciliation of brothers and sisters. And Peter, he has a question in response to what Jesus shared about a brother who sins against you. He said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And I'm thinking Peter's probably thinking, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I mean, if I can forgive up to seven times, I mean, I'm feeling pretty holy, righteous. You know, I'm, you know, feeling pretty good about myself. And Jesus shocks him as he often would. Seventy times seven. Or 77 times, either way. What Jesus is saying is not literally 70 times 7, and so you count up how many that is, or 77 uh, times, and, and once somebody's gone past that number, you stop forgetting. Then he's saying, no, you forgive your brother every time that your brother comes to you and sincerely offers his forgiveness, or sincerely says, well, I've wronged you, will you please forgive me? And then he tells this parable. It's a very wonderful parable about the forgiveness of God. And the argument is from the greater to the lesser. He tells about this servant who owes millions of millions of dollars, and his master forgives him. And the servant turns around, and he goes, and he finds somebody who owes him, you know, a month's pay or something like that. And that servant, fellow servant, pleads with him, please give me time, I'll pay you back. And nope, I will not offer you forgiveness. You have to pay me. And the point that Jesus is making is when you understand who you are, your sin, how often your sin has offended the holy and righteous God. But even though your sin offends the holy and righteous God, God in his grace and his love in Jesus Christ forgives you and he forgives you and he forgives you. And he forgives you. And his forgiveness never ends. His mercies are new every morning. But you turn around to a fellow human being who has wronged you and you say, no, I will hold that sin against you for the rest of my life. Then you don't understand the forgiveness of God. And you don't understand who you are. He ends this parable by saying, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. 
Now, I want to make this clear because Jesus often preached in this way. He would say, unless you forgive your brother, my Father in heaven will not forgive you. Jesus is not saying that in order to earn God's forgiveness, you have to forgive other people first. Jesus is saying that the person who has experienced truly the forgiveness of God who is being transformed by the Holy Spirit that dwells within them, will be a forgiving person. It doesn't mean you're never going to struggle with forgiveness. It doesn't mean you're never going to wrestle with God and say, God, why am I holding on to this bitterness? Why am I struggling with this? But you will be somebody who will give forgiveness because you understand how great God's forgiveness is of you. Lord's Day 51, the second part says, forgive us just as we are fully determined. We are determined as evidence of your grace in us. That's what this parable is about. The evidence of God's grace in us is that we are willing to forgive. We are determined to forgive our neighbors. Vertical forgiveness experienced in our lives, us being reconciled to God displays itself naturally in horizontal forgiveness, being reconciled to our neighbors. If the purpose in God's forgiveness of our sins is so that we can have relationship with Him, we can have fellowship and communion with Him, if the purpose of God's forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ is so that we could over and over again go to God and declare to him, God, we don't want anything to get in between our relationship with you. And God and Jesus Christ is saying, I don't want anything to get in between my relationship with you. I want to share my love with you. I want to share my life with you. I want to have eternity with you. Then the same should be said about horizontal forgiveness. Horizontal forgiveness Forgiveness of our neighbors, us seeking forgiveness when we acknowledge and recognize that we've wronged another person is ultimately about relationship, reconciliation, understanding that we don't want there to be anything between us. We want to have fellowship, communion with you, with each other. Does that mean that we'll always end in that. As the illustration said, we can forgive a person if they keep the pen. We shouldn't be their friend unless they give it back. We can have an eagerness, a desire, always wanting, always prepared to give forgiveness. But that doesn't mean that it always responds in reconciliation. Because reconciliation requires two parties. We can desire reconciliation, but if the other person does not, we can do nothing about that. But our heart has forgiven. Our heart is fully determined as evidence of the grace in us to forgive our neighbors.
Forgiveness is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And those who have received it should be ready and willing to give it. In Christ, we pray for forgiveness so that we can be reconciled to God and to our neighbor. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. We ask, Lord, that we will continually be renewed in our awareness of your forgiveness of us in Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would not hold against us, poor sinners that we are, any of the sins we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. And we ask, Lord, that you would forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. Help us, Lord, to be a transformed people. A people who not only receive forgiveness, but give it. And we pray, Lord, that the forgiveness that you have given to us, so that we may be reconciled to you, would bear fruit in the forgiveness that we give to others so that we can be reconciled to each other. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.